Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our author events at www.skylightbooks.com. At our website, you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. And don't be afraid to follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Karita Kent, Being a Rebel Nun, and all kinds of other sort of sordid stories from the 1960s and beyond. Um, so we will start with, I'm going to have to read these bios, even though. Well, so I know, let's put it this way, I know some of these ladies I've known for some time and some of these ladies I've just met tonight. We'll start with someone who I just met tonight, who is Liz Mahoney, who's on the end. IHM. Um, <laughs> um, she has been a member of the Immaculate Heart community for 65 years and was present. See how. Yeah, but I don't see where your thing is. It wasn't printed out. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Who is not on? I, there it is. Um, I'm Liz Mahoney. I used to be Sister Vincent DePaul. My friends and community called me Rags and Bags for the St. Vincent DePaul Society. <laughs> but <coughs> that was a good laugh and it was a good life. Uh, I entered in 1945 when I was 17 years of age. I had gone to the Immaculate Heart community uh, and my father had wanted me to be a Immaculate Heart sister and I rebelled and so he set me up to go to Immaculate Heart College and after a few months there I realized that um, uh, I was flunking because I'd come from a little high school that had only nine students in the senior year and I'd never written anything. So I was fearful that I might get uh, rejected everywhere after this experience. So I said to God one day at the chapel, I need to talk to Sister Magdalene Mary, who was very influential with Corita too, because I, I said, if I'm, gonna, if, if I'm to be in this community, I'm going to walk out that chapel door and I'm going to walk into Magdalene Mary. And I did. And she had me in the convent in two weeks. <laughs> and I've been there now for 65 years. And much of that <coughs> has to do with the fact of being around the art department. Just not to interrupt you, but no, Ma Magdalene Mary was, um, would, you, could you, would you say a mentor of Carita's? She was the head of the art department when Carita came to start teaching there. Empresario. Empresario, yeah. Oh. And I'm sure she'll come up quite a bit in this conversation. Oh, she will. She was quite a character. <laughs> okay, well, that, wait, how do you guys like it? Would you prefer that everybody introduce themselves or should I read the bios? Themselves, okay, Nan. Hi. <laughs> well, hello everyone. I'm Nan Dean Cano, and I am not a member of the Immaculate Heart community, <laughs> but my life and uh, heart has been with it uh, ever since I went to Immaculate Heart College. I entered the uh, college as kind of a naive young Catholic girl, um, and 
it was the best thing that ever happened in my life. It's shaped my entire life, my moral stance, my political views, my community and global commitments all came from the wonderful years on the Hill. And um, it was those were wonderful times. We were talking at dinner that to me it just seemed the wonderful times I was in in 63, 66, and 67. But we were in such a turmoil um, politically. Uh, we were confronting civil rights when I was there, Vietnam, um, and all of the consciousness of Corita and the art filtered into us as thinking young women. And uh, I remember Sister Richard, now deceased, was my philosophy teacher. And in freshman year, sitting in her lecture, and uh, we'd read her homework. I'd read, she said, read Plato. I read Plato and showed up, and she started asking questions. Well, it had never occurred to me that I would have to actually think. And she said, do you think? Do you have any thoughts? And I thought, well, this is a new requirement. And it all started there. You know, it was just one wonderful adventure after another. And uh, the great <coughs> gift of my life is that these women have been my friends um, for more than 40 years. Next up is Helen Kelly. I don't know how to be brief, and I'm famous for being brief. <laughs> uh, brevity is my long suit. And, uh, <laughs> I entered the community the same year that Liz Mahoney did. I was an older woman. I had been to college. And uh, it all seemed wonderful. It, the, the first year in the novitiate was for me the best sort of in a way in my life and it, we had some studying to do we had a lot of housekeeping to do a lot of rake raking of leaves uh, in a spectacular place if you haven't been to the uh, Casa de Maria retreat center in Santa Barbara you should treat yourself it's a it's a beautiful place both to see and to and experience and I taught for several years, went to graduate school for several years, came back and taught at the college. And in 63, I was named president. Those were the good old days when there was no such thing as a search for a president. You just got assigned. <laughs> and uh, I, I was in that position for 14 years, from 63 to 77 during which time there were many sea changes. Um, Corita is referred to as the rebel nun. I think that comes from a cover of Newsweek or Time or something or other like that. And I, I, I want to counter that notion. Uh, she was very much one of us, outstanding in more ways than most of us were. Uh, and we got thought of as rebels when, as a matter of fact, we got caught in a situation in which we were, I won't go into the whole church history. Um, brief, Helen, brief. Uh, <laughs> anyway, after the Second Vatican Council, how many of you even knew that there was a Second Vatican Council? <laughs> to how many of you did it make a difference? Yeah. Um, 
I'm, I'm at an impasse here. I, I need to tell you so much to understand what I'm saying after I say so much and I'm not going to say the so much. So it's going to be a problem. Anyway, <laughs> the, the Vatican Council II was a call to wake up, get into the 21st century, I mean the 20th century before it was gone. We took it very seriously and the Pope that followed John the 23rd called for every religious community to have a special meeting to bring themselves up to date, to get rid of a lot of the old customs, get back in the spirit of the founder. And we did it, and I think we did it with great style, and Corita was a great help in all of our deliberations. But <clears throat> in the end, the incumbent cardinal here didn't like anything of what we were doing. So we were sort of rebelling against a cardinal who was rebelling against the church. Now, that's the neatest way I can summarize it. We were very nice girls. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Follow that one, Richard. Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I think that um, Helen Kelly is one of the wittiest and uh, smartest uh, girls I have ever met. <laughs> I, want, I needed that. Um, in 19, uh, let's see, I guess it was 1964 to 65, I was seeing Container Corporations by Corita ads in Time Magazine, Newsweek, um, I think Life a couple of times too. And I was falling in love with them. I knew who Corita was uh, since 1954. Um, and so I would write her little love notes. And um, I was a monk in a, bro a Roman Catholic brother in Chicago, passionist. And by the time um, 65 uh, came around, I didn't believe any of it, <coughs> including I didn't believe in God. Uh, but. Uh, I kept writing Corita and uh, sending her little collages that I made and she said, why don't you come to Immaculate Heart College? Uh, you have a soul of an artist. She didn't say I was a good artist, she just said I had a soul of an artist. I was a, had the soul of an artist. And I said, oh, I never took my college boards. I don't know, you know, I don't know if I can study. I don't know, da 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 da. And I said, I'm going to go to Loyola and uh, take these tests. And they said, oh, you'll do fine. So she wrote, and I said, um, I'd like to come. She said, well, yep, well you're in. So I thought, oh, that's good. <laughs> so uh, she said, come. She sent me some pictures, and I left the monastery, and I went to Catholic Worker in New York. And then I, one day I was opening this, and she said, come for summer school. Well, I was in New York, and I was up the Hudson with Dorothy Day. And thank God I didn't see that note from Corita saying come to Immaculate Heart for the summer, but rather uh, I had a wonderful summer at Bard College. I had a wonderful summer at Bard College. And uh, then I went to Immaculate Heart uh, College and uh, met Corita. And Corita was an interesting bag of beans. And uh, I met all of these people, Jan, Lenore, Helen, 
and you were there too. I recognized your face, and I recognized your face too, and a lot of you in the audience. And it was the greatest experience of my life because I love to name drop. I have met a lot of very important people because I went to a particular I'm sorry my partner David Meckelberg isn't here tonight. He, Krita, when she left uh, uh, to move uh, to Boston, uh, she asked David to take over, to take, uh, to teach all of her classes and he did a bang up job following and he said okay. So he did it and she, there was a reason why she asked him because she knew he was damn good. Yeah. Oh, Lenore, you got that. Um, I'm Lenore Navarro Dowling, and I was educated by the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart in elementary and high school and one year of college. I entered the community 60 years ago and um, taught at Immaculate Heart College. Kelly was my boss from 61 until the college closed in 80. I was a student of Corita's. I was a friend and colleague. I was in the art department. When I came back from Columbia University with an MFA, I joined the art department and started film classes. And uh, when Corita left in 68, she told me she was going on a sabbatical. And I said, okay, I'll carry on. Corita didn't come back from sabbatical, so I headed up the art department, and we carried on her tradition and with great love and joy. I'm Jan Stewart, and I was, let's see, in 58, I had a <coughs> two-year-old and a three-year, and a five-year-old. Yeah, five, three years. Okay. And <clears throat> I had majored in art and, and um, <clears throat> it was a different life. <laughs> My neighbor, Alma Sean, was a, um, a designer, the chief designer for Neiman Marcus when they were famous with their <laughs> packaging. And she kept saying, you've got to go to Immaculate Heart. There's Sister Magdalene Mary and Sister Corita. <clears throat> and, um, and, you know, I kept saying, how can I? You know, I mean, I've got these babies. One Saturday, um, Alma came, and she had a cleaning lady, a bag of groceries. And she said, I'm staying with your kids, and this is your tuition paid for. Go. And so I went, and I never, I never left. I mean, I left physically, but not in my heart. Thank you. Well, now you guys have met everyone. Now you understand why I was so intimidated to chair this panel. So there was a lot of history. Can you guys, everything okay? Yeah, there was a lot of history that was kind of referred to as um, as everybody introduced themselves, which is which is great. I had um, some questions laid out, and you kind of touched on all of them. Um, 
I do want to get into being being that the that the title of this panel is rebel nuns. I do want to get into the controversy and the problems, and especially the the situation that surrounded Cardinal McIntyre and what happened to your community during the '60s. But if possible, I'd like to just pass the mic around very briefly and just talk about there was it's very obvious that there was something very special going on on that campus there on Franklin and Western um, throughout the 1960s and I'm wondering if you at the time as you were experiencing experiencing it were aware that something special was happening to you during that time um, and if so if you could cite a, a brief example of, of what 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 kinds of things that you can remember that you that stick out in your mind to say that this is this was a different kind of experience than a normal art college. It's okay. Very. Yeah. Do you want to start? No. Well, the the 60s for us at Immaculate Heart College was really a great flourishing time for the arts. The art department with Corita, the theater department with Marie Florette, uh, who has since died, the music department um, with the three nuns, a, a trio. So all the arts were, were just thriving. And in the art department, Corita and our other faculty reflected the world. Today at dinner I said Corita would probably do something on the oil spill and on the Gaza flotilla. So her work from that period reflected the Watts riots, for example. So we weren't just this little isolated island on the hill, but we were in tune with local issues and national issues. So as low-key as Corita seemed to be, she was really a firebrand that ignited passion and rage and and it came out in the work that students did but it was the the combination of all the arts on campus plus not just the the arts but the other departments the political science economics everybody anybody who was in school or on the faculty will remember that time not that it was Camelot but it was just exciting and nothing like it since and Richard was a student at the time yes I was there I was there toward the 67 to 70 uh, we all tried to please Karita in many many ways uh, we tried to do good work and we tried uh, we tried every which everything that we could try we, 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 we tried and I think I pleased Corita the most uh, we were all in costume and there was a fish pond in the center of the convent and um, Corita was up above watching this was some students project and I got on the railing of, of the fish pond and we were all singing and dancing and going around and I got a little bit dizzy and fell in the pond and I looked up and there was Karita and she was laughing her head off. So I think that was the time when I pleased her the most. This is like going through a big trunk on the eve of moving. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
I had the pleasure of getting to know Corita personally better after she left. I mean, she was an icon when she was there. And, and she knew it in a kind of a way that I think disturbed her because uh, it put an awful lot of pressure on her. Uh, students wanted her full-time attention. Magdalene Mary wanted her full-time on the road, spreading the word. Uh, she wanted a good night's sleep. And uh, they were all kind of warring events. But after she moved to Boston, and I, after I was president of the college, moved to Washington, she would come down often. If I had work in Boston, I would go up. She would stay with me, I would stay with her. We had the kind of conversation that conventional life did not nourish. Um, we didn't have a schedule. Uh, we didn't have to be in chapel. We didn't have to eat community fair at a uniform hour. Uh, we just enjoyed one another, and uh, I count that as one of many treasures in my life, to have had that. Uh, one thing in the Las Feliz part of the story, one time when she came out, after I had moved back to LA, I took her to dinner at the Las Feliz Inn. I don't know whether you, you remember the Las Feliz Inn. I forget what its name is now. Right across Hillhurst from what was the Brown Derby, what was Michael's, what is Louise's. Very nice. It was the upscalest of the restaurants in the Las Feliz area. And there were three women who were having dinner at the same time we were. They ordered a special kind of dessert coffee, Cafe Diablo, which involved peeling an orange around and around and around and around, holding it up and pouring a little brandy down it and lighting it up. And she said, we have to order one of those. Those women didn't watch that work of art for a minute. <laughs> I stood in front of the library up the hill, which is now AFI, I'm sure you all know, and was with one of my beloved professors, Fallon Evans, when John Kennedy was shot. And we looked out over the city and we talked at that moment about what we would have to do now. And that was really the heart of Immaculate Heart, that the city was ours, the world was ours, we had to make a difference, justice had to be brought to the world. And it was just a matter of sorting our way and finding what to do and how to do it. I was an English major and snuck into the art classes. All of the art majors were English minors. So word, the word was extremely important. Um, Corita was pulling words out of the newspaper. Um, the big supermarket across the street was Market Basket and said that if Mary were here, she would be shopping in Market Basket and that Mary was the juiciest tomato of them all which got her in all kinds of trouble with the Cardinal. Mary was no tomato. But for young women, 
this is the impact it had on us, that the world was ours. We were not isolated uh, little treasures kept away from pain or sorrow or meaningful lives, and that we, we must engage ourselves, that words meant something. And clipping out of the newspaper, one of our assignments would be to take um, hundreds of clippings from newspapers, randomly cutting, and we'd come in and we might have 200 of them uh, on little index cards and then reduce it to 50 and then reduce it to 25 and, and start discerning meaning in there that the very w random words of newsprint um, were the texts of our lives. And so those seemingly random words that appear in so many of the serographs came from the advertisements, from the newspapers, um, from the, the brave uh, Berrigan priests who were putting their lives on the line and uh, Pentagon paper protests. Um, my friends were going to, there was a summer, one of the greatest regrets of my life during those years is that I didn't go to Selma, Alabama. And one of my best friends uh, did marry, remember? And I always have felt I should have been there. Well, if not there, then where? And so we worked in the inner city. Um, these women, you have to know, were in, they, to me, were the funniest, smartest, prettiest, finest human beings I had ever come across. I'd never seen anything like this. And there was, well, most of them. <laughs> And this one was my president. And so as a young girl in college, and you ask what it felt like to be in that auditorium, you know, young girls who didn't know what the hell we'd walked into up there, she would march down that aisle, uh, convocation, ramrod straight back with the most stirring convocation speeches, uh, urging us to engage life at its fullest and to start right now, please. Um, when the Cardinal chose his path of destruction of this uh, incredible institution and community of women who simply wanted to work in the streets of Los Angeles, pray at reasonable hours, wear sensible clothing, and do God's work in the world, um, which is so commonplace with all of our wonderful religious communities now. It was, they just, they were just ready then. Um, there, there, you have to know, there wasn't a glimmer of this on campus. It was held with, they must have been weeping all night, but it wasn't politicized. I, I always really admired that element, Helen, that it, classes went on and events occurred and, and we learned and worked and worked and worked. But this was not brought to, forward to us until and I encourage you to read uh, Anita Caspery's book, who was Reverend Mother Humiliata at the time, um, Witness to Integrity. I was shocked when I read that book because I lived it. I was there. The, the dates, the times, it was me. I was in those rooms and didn't know the anguish. Um, so there's a great sense of, of strength and dignity in that. And so when you're trained with women like that, um, it's... It's a lifelong challenge to live up to it. I taught then 
my whole life, recently retired. And one lingering influence that, I mean, this was one of the books, Karita's Rules. And you've all gone to high schools and schools where, you know, there are standards and you have to have certain classroom rules and this is what you have to do. Well, my rules for 30 years in the classroom were these. Simple things like find a place you trust and then try trusting for a while. General duties of a teacher, pull everything out of your students. Nothing is a mistake. There's no win and no fail. There's only make. The only rule is work. If you work, it will lead to something. It's the people who do all of the work, all of the time, who eventually catch on to things. These are my rules. And then I had an opportunity a few years ago to write a book um, in collaboration with my brother, who's the photographer John Dean in, in New York. And um, it was about Martha Graham, great creative force of the 20th century. And the company had been in lean years because of litigation on who owned Martha's works after she died in 91. And when the company came back to life, John, my brother, said, you need a book. And they said, well, we don't know who to devote it to. And he said, well, my sister is a writer. And um, I am. I had a column in the LA Times for some time and had written essays. And remember, Lenore, you had me do an article, too. But it was a great opportunity. We were given full access to the company for a couple of years. And so the book Acts of Light um, about Martha Graham came to life. Well, I was given one of the great American women to study and her now existing company. How to do that, how to structure it. And this is the tie back to my wonderful Immaculate Heart and to Corita, that beauty is around you. It's as simple as a barefoot on a stage, which was Martha Graham. And the stories she told were women's stories. So this book is structured around women's voices. Voices of uh, courage, of sorrow, um, of the archetypal voices of Phaedra, of Medea, of Jocasta, of Eve, and of Mary. Mary is in this book too. So there are a million stories like that. I mean, to have gone to that college in those years, I think, really was a Camelot time. And um, it has stirred the lives of, of all of us who, who were privileged enough to be there. So I hope that gave you a little bit of sense of what it felt like to, to be there, um, that you were really commissioned to do more. <laughs> Well, I come at it at some a, a different position. The college for us was how we learned how to teach and how to educate. So all that they're talking of experiencing, we were experiencing on Saturdays, classes, and all summer. And then we taught all through the year. And <clears throat> of course, that was one of the things when we wrote our um, treatise about the changes of Vatican II, we wrote a quite a stance about education and how we would work in the schools. I've had as many as 83 children in one classroom and 
they taught me more than I taught them. And it was an, a, a marvelous experience in life because children will teach. If you give them, the, I said to them one day, I'm not going to go crazy. What's wrong? We've got to figure out how to survive. And they said, if you give us, we, when, the, when you get angry, your cheeks shake. And so we were in this, you know, this, this little habit, habit that they were, and I was eating, because I was eating myself to death because that's all it was seemingly pleasurable at that time. And they shook. And so they were setting me up every day to do this. And I said, well, what are we going to do? And they said, well, if you'll give us Friday afternoon for a talent show, we'll give you the week. <laughs> and it was a deal. I went through, I could work through the year then. We really made it work. But I had to turn to them because I wasn't prepared. I was 19 years of age when I walked into a classroom with not little if no preparation. And we said that was unjust and we did not believe in it. So that's what we were learning through the college and through our working in the schools. We said we had to have adequate class sizes, we had to have adequate budgets, and no one would go into the classroom unless they were prepared to be teachers. That was the only, and the Cardinal was just furious when, and it's in the book, where she, he said that you don't tell the boss how to run the business. And he fired us right on that spot. And that was in 1968. And after that firing, there were 28 schools in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles that we left. I was principal of Blessed Sacrament School Hollywood at that time. And we had no house, we had no cars, we had no money. And the parishioners gave showers for us, so we knew what it was to survive. And in the meantime, you're always going to college. College, classroom, and a challenge of survival. And God's been very good to us, because we could laugh. That's one thing our community has always been, to know how to give a party. It's and to true. laugh. It's, it's true. true. We would we would have just, even in the novitiate, when I think you're supposed to be scared to death, we used to laugh a lot. We got into big trouble for this. But it's it's survival. If, if you believe in women, which we really were taught that the strength is within us to do a lot, that we can make it work. And the public schools were quite anxious to have us. I mean, I was immediately uh, went into Los Angeles City Schools, quite a few of us did, because they knew we'd been well trained by then, because I had my master's and had been a principal. So, but that call, the college, not that college, our college, was where we received our educations. And we received, there was one of the most wonderful women that I ever experienced in, in education. Her name was Sister um, Elizabeth Ann. She was known as Agnes uh, Flynn. Uh, she was a, a absolute leader in education. You went all the way. She'd come to our schools and help us when we had troubles. She saw to it that you were given a, a master's in administration and your credentialing and all. She was just wonderful. So we were educators, and I believe it was because we had a college to train us to be educators. So that was my, my part of the college. One PS. Okay. When I graduated, now this is the time of the Peace Corps and, and uh, the whole thrust in our society um, under, underscored with the Civil Rights Movement was a time of generous giving. And so when I graduated, this philosophy that women were strong and important and intelligent and that we needed highly educated uh, women in the religious community in the schools really struck home with 
some of us. And so the community had formed something called the Service Corps. So my first year in teaching, I earned $100 a month um, and uh, lived in the convent, really. It was the top floor of the dorm. And I took the place of a sister for a year. I mean, make it clear, I am not part of the community. But I, no, 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 I didn't sign that paper. Um, uh, so a, a nun, a sister could go. You know, you've heard Columbia, and we had uh, sisters going to major universities in the United States and even Oxford. And so I took her place for a year so she could go and have the luxury of a, of a completely finished um, college education. And um, what fun it was. I'd come home at night from my dates, and uh, Sister Marianne Cortona would be waiting up for me, and she'd fix me a steak, and she'd say, tell me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> now we're all tied up again. Yeah. Real quickly, going back to the rules that you were reading before, just something that came up at dinner. Richard was, in fact, involved in the creation and the formulation of those rules, correct? Yes. Um, which, for me, this personal aside, has always been a controversial subject because for years there's been a debate back and forth that I've heard that those were actually rules that were written by John Cage, the no. musician that Corita had stolen. And he solved the, uh, solved the mystery for me tonight. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how those rules were yeah. formulated, and then we can get into sure. some of the other. Uh, the rules were written in two art structure classes um, um, with Carita and all of the students. And uh, we had our regular work to do, and she said, well, uh, I can't remember what we were working on at the moment uh, at that particular point in time. But, and then she said, well, uh, uh, we'll have a break and then we'll talk about the rules and then the rules just came forth uh, in the first evening I remember Barbara Lost was awfully good and uh, uh, she was terrific she she added uh, a lot there was a lot of Barbara Lost in these rules um, but it, they, it all came about in two sessions, and then she said, well, we have all of this, we, we have these rules, uh, and next week we will edit the rules and talk about everything again. So that's how it happened, and it was spontaneous, and it was fun, and there was a lot of, uh, it was just fun. And um, that's how they came about. And uh, the John Cage part is by leaving, how do we do this? By leaving plenty of room for X quantities. And um, I wish I met John Cage once at the um, um, Whitney Museum in New York, and I wish I had had uh, the uh, presence of mind to mention uh, these rules, but I did not. Oh, and then David, uh, in Jan's great book, Learning by Heart, uh, this is Jan right here. She wrote this book. She and Corita, this was a project that she and Corita uh, did together. And um, David, David's, David Meckelberg's my partner's um, uh, part in this is that he cut these rubber stamps, and he was the best stamp cutter uh, of anyone ever, Karita said, you're the best. 
And um, so uh, she was always forever borrowing his rubber stamps um, to um, do uh, this, that, or the other. But this is his uh, stamp set, and he cut it. And when Karita gave us uh, assignments to cut stamps, we she said, okay, next week by this time you'll have each have five sets of stamps. And be careful uh, using your exactos because I don't want to see, in it, for every cut you have to give, I don't know, 50 cents or a quarter. And then we'll have a party at the end of the semester. <laughs> <laughs> we had a big party because we were all really cut up. Let's get into uh, a little bit, a little bit more about um, what what happened with uh, with the archdiocese and Cardinal McIntyre, and 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 I'd like to hear from from those who lived through it. What what really were you fighting for, and how did it feel at the time to have um, not just your superiors, but but. Um, it's not just like, I mean, it was like just a job, but it also, I believe, from what I've heard, had a lot of spiritual implications as well, because belief comes into question, um, possibly. And if not, correct me on that. But I'm curious, just from a personal standpoint, how that felt, um, what really were you, were you fighting for, and, and, and how that felt to have to fight against the system like that during that time? Real good. <laughs> uh, well, the great, the great benefit of this having happened when it did uh, was that it happened 40 years ago when we were all 40 years younger. <laughs> and if you don't think that makes a monumental difference, wait until you are 40 years older than you are today. <clears throat> Uh, I think, speaking for myself, that's all I can speak for. Often I try to speak for others, but I, it doesn't work. Um, for myself, I found the times stimulating, angering, certainly. Um, the 40 intervening years haven't done much to shake my conviction that the church is much more Roman than Christian and that it lives by laws that cannot find their home in the scripture and that we were engaged in a mighty work of reformation. We didn't have 95 theses but we did what we could. And uh, I think we've already mentioned the things, the fact that, that people were working under unfair and unjust situations. Uh, I had begun to feel that the convent system, which was so ideal for me, I mean, so many decisions were made for me, and I didn't experience them as hostile. Putting on the same kind of clothes every day was such a liberation. And uh, so much so that I now put on pretty much the same clothes every day. <laughs> um, but it, it, it was for us a call, a call to grow up. Uh, 
Well, Nan, as a student, experienced us as wonderfully grown up then, full of fun, uh, full of sharp intelligence, but, you know, nuns. And uh, God bless us. Yeah, when, when I'm finished. <laughs> uh, it, it was, people have even thought, members who were of the community at the time, said what we were really engaging in was a job action. You know, we were, we were a tiny union inside the church that saw things that needed to be done and we went to work to make them happen. And indeed, even though we ran into that very rough patch with Cardinal McIntyre, uh, we came through it. We have new works to show for it after those 40 years. And old works lost, like the college. And uh, What was amazing to me in the, when this old experience occurred was <clears throat> Uh, I w being on West, it, at, at uh, Blessed Sacrament, you're right there on Selma Avenue and so forth, and people would go to church and come out and be upset and call us women of the streets. And what struck me for the first time in my life, I had never been accepted for who I was. It was the symbol I wore. Does that make any sense? And it, it was such a shock that I felt I was a person, that, that, that I was respected for who I was. And it, it was that you, you are a symbol that takes care of the rest of us with your life so we can live freely, somehow or other, get permission to do that. So that was, it was a real shock. Um, the, I think that was hard for me also was in the parochial schools to have other sisters take our schools. If we had together done a, a work stoppage of that kind, if when he fired us, if the rest of them would have said we um, wouldn't go into the schools, I think that would have made something different, but they didn't. And I think, again, you don't have a lot of time to get fussing about things. You've got to survive. So we just figured out how to do that, and we did it. Well, we've done it all now 40 years. Now we're worried about where we're going to, you know, because we started these uh, retirement funds because we had no money. And we still not a very, well, there's not too flesh a situation in this world right now. But um, we had to figure out, how, we were told at the time that we made the decision that we were expected to care for ourselves in old age. So now we're looking to say, now how are we going to survive with style from now on? Because now I'm 82. So there, there are chances and still, still changes. But my parents were terribly accepting of me. I don't think too many of our parents found this hard because you did have to grow up. And at one point I was made a superior. I want to tell you, that's the craziest job I ever had. <laughs> I went to the Mother General and I said to her, I don't want this job. This is ridiculous. If adults can't make decisions without my helping them make them, I don't want it. And she said, well, that's too bad. You've got it and you've got to keep it. So I had it. But th there was the things that you were constantly learning about growing up, really. I think Kelly you uh, put that together in a good way. Um, the day that 
I was teaching at Immaculate Heart High School, which thank goodness is still a wonderful, flourishing place. Uh, the day that uh, the sisters came downstairs in dresses and in full lay clothing, the other lay faculty, we said, we could be nude today and no one would notice us <laughs> because there was such a fascination. But we had all helped them get a little bit of makeup here and there, hair dues, um, dresses, clothing was, was shared so that they could step out and uh, be the beautiful women that they are. But I, we were friends with them struggling to begin life in LA, how to write a check, um, mysteries, mysteries to be solved right away. And one irony in all of this is, you know, when you when I see the abuse, the abuses in the Catholic Church today, I'm afraid it just doesn't astonish me. I've seen the abuse of power. I've seen um, people with bizarre senses of entitlement. And the years we were together were marked by such a deep spirituality into true Christianity that it always puzzled me that it wasn't evident. The boxes we made for Mary's Day, the banners that we carried were um, Mary, were Christ, were the essence of our faith displayed for all to come and, and see and join and taste, as Carita would say, taste the wonder bread. And it was this deeply spiritual. In my life, since I've left there, I have never had the, the deep um, sense of truly meaningful liturgy and uh, the, the depth of spirituality that I experienced in those masses and in the Forbidden Home masses and all the other things that we did. But it's, it's had lingering, echoing bells of, of effect through the years. It's made it harder to love this church. I was thinking to possibly open this up for questions, so if anybody has questions right now. Would that be okay with all you guys? Yes? Yeah. Does anybody have a question? Yeah? Might you shout it out? Yeah, you might have just shout it out. into that secondary status. So my question to you is, how did you find the resolve? Because I know there was controversy within your community as to the direction you were taking. I know some disagreed and didn't continue with you. I know there were letters to the Pope. I mean, I, I know that this was you know, many years in, in, in the controversy and in the decision, and you gave up so much. So how did you find the resolve? Was it, is the underpinning of that resolve in your faith, or was it in your education? Because you were all so wonderfully educated and brilliant women. If I'm making sense, it's like you're so stalwart in the face of the hierarchy of the entire Oh, you want to repeat the question? Or you can do it. I think the question is, what accounts for our resolve? to do what we did. Was it faith or education? And I would say both, plus solidarity. One can't act alone. 
well, some people do act alone, but I think what empowered us was that other members of the community um, made the resolve for self-determination and with faith and belief in one another and that we were doing the right thing, we were able to do it. True, there was a lot of controversy. One group um, remained nuns with vows. We are not nuns. We have no vows. We are now married, single, young and old of various uh, Christian traditions. And others left because the future was too unknown. How would we get a job? How would we support ourselves? Where would we live? And when, um, and many of those who left are still very close to us today and are very dear friends and still think of themselves as members of community. So it was faith, education, um, the desire to be self-determining. And because we had leadership at the college and in the community and were women, I think that also provided the, the power within to take a stand and to stand together. Kelly, do you want to answer? Well, I, I don't have much to say to go beyond that. I emphasize again the fact that we were 40 years younger and there's a lot of courage that comes out of foolish youth. <laughs> and. Uh, Well, we, we did put a great deal of time into this. The trouble with the Cardinal began not long after he arrived in 1948, which was the year that I began teaching at Immaculate Heart High School. And a very close friend of Corita's became president of the college in 51, and she initiated a program called <coughs> Critics Forum, to which were invited uh, literary critics of current books on Catholic or Christian philosophy, fiction, whatever. Well, it disturbed the Cardinal very much. We should not be reading Graham Greene. Uh, we should not be reading even Francois Mauriac. No, no, shouldn't, shouldn't certainly bring people to the stage to talk about these people in public. And, you know, so the, the Sister Thecla was being called down to the Cardinal's office. Mother Regina, who was the Mother General, was called down. When I became president, there was a move at the end of 63 on the part of some faculty who put together a statement about what I think at that time was Proposition 1. Was that the one on fair housing? And uh, the Cardinal had not had a word to say about fair housing. So this statement was prepared by philosophers, theology, sociologists on the church's clear teaching on this. And the intimation was that you don't need a cardinal to tell you what the church teaches. And he thought that we were saying, no, you don't need the cardinal. We need you, huh? We need you. So I got called down for pointing out church teaching and I was respectful and I went home and the next thing I knew the Mother General had been called to bring me down. And this is just, I say this as a manifestation, a, uh, yeah, a manifestation of the Cardinal's mindset, which was you have a chain of command and you don't, and that's why there had to be a superior in every house. 
somebody had to be accountable. If everybody's accountable, nobody's accountable. That's the way he saw it. He did not like Vatican II. He left it early and uh, well, there you are. You know, so we were we were overeducated. <laughs> and yeah, and Oh yeah, yeah. And and we did, I must say, we did a fairly good job of right and left. We had it's true, we had Tom Hayden. We also had Art Snyder, we had John Russolo, we had George Murphy, we had Ronald Reagan. And who? Well, yes, but I'm talking about the political stripe. <laughs> and uh, Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown. Our next governor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so read Anita's book. Uh, tell the uh, Skylight people to. Do you have tons? <laughs> I'm hoping that we can do this again. I know that's, that this is going to go on for some time, because, but there are amazing funny stories about a lot of the people here, right? this evening and that I would uh, like to uh, talk about uh, but um, uh, Immaculate Heart was the greatest experience of my life and a new beginning and I am forever grateful because I wouldn't be here tonight if it I hadn't if it hadn't been for my little notes to Corita and uh, her generosity uh, with me. So I have to leave, uh, sorry. But I hope we can do this again because there are such funny stories. I have a funny, funny story about Magdalene, Mary, and Corita. I was in Paris. Oh, <laughs> I was in Paris uh, with a lovely uh, girl, um, Tracy Cray. Uh, Jan knew Tracy, and you, you knew Tracy, and mm -hmm. Helen knew Tracy, and we uh, were uh, we had gone to Paris uh, with uh, the uh, French Department of Immaculate Heart, and uh, we were um, near the Sorbonne someplace, and we ran into on a little side street this magnificent. Uh, 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 this magnificent uh, antique shop, and I said to Tracy, I said, "Oh God, if Magdalene, Mary, if Mag and uh, Carita could uh, see this, uh, see this, um, th they would go crazy." And uh, so we went in, and I start be tried to talk to the gentleman. You should get in touch with Ma uh, Sister Magdalene, Mary, and uh, Carita. Uh, can't and he said, "Don't mention those ladies to me ever. Don't mention those ladies to me ever." And I said, "Why for? Why for?" And and he said, "The little one was fine, but the other one, Magdalene Mary, tried to get everything for next to nothing." <laughs> Immaculate Heart had a marvelous uh, uh, folk folk art collection which should be in Griffith Park right now, but I don't know why that didn't happen, but it was a magnificent collection. And one time I went to pick up a friend at the Burbank Airport and I snuck out a bird, a bird thing that would 
you would wind it up and it would go make the the twittiest noises of all time and I picked up my friend and the, and the cage was covered and uh, people thought we were nuts <laughs> but anyhow those are some of the things that uh, happened uh, at Immaculate Heart and I just wanted to say uh, I met Ani Snin, I met Henry, Henry Miller, Bucky Fuller, Jane Fonda, Henry Fonda, John Voigt, Daniel Ellsberg, uh, Ellsberg, the Berrigan brothers, Ray and Charles Eames, uh, Diane Keaton, Warren Beatty, Helen Kelly, Dorothy Dunn, Lenore Dowling, Detta Lang, Jan Stewart, and Dr. and Annette Laporte. And I'm sure I'm th they were the faculty. And I tell you, it was a goddamn good education. <laughs> Fini? 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 Mm-hmm. No, no, we're not finished. I'm Fini. There's a question. Do you have another question? I would like. I would think you were, you know, um, you were asking about a question of the spiritual, the, 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 what gave us the strength? One another. In fact, we together are so many f really close friends to this day. Many, some of the, one woman that we were lived, five of us would live in a house together so we could afford the rent, find big places, and then you have it two years and they'd sell the blooming thing and you had to find another house. So we kept doing that for years. But um, it was um, a camaraderie, a belief that, well, we, we had such wonderful people work with us uh, while we were in the chapter because we, we went two solid years in all summer with a, a, um, a chapter we called it of study there was an education division there was a, a how we live together how we govern and Kelly was very very much in, uh, in part uh, the writing of the uh, prologue especially weren't you in the decrees well, I was sort of the amanuensis. What's so that all mean? Secretary. <laughs> oh, secretary. Well, what did... <laughs> they have a lot of big words in the college. I didn't get that. <laughs> I was teaching elementary. <laughs> that was another interesting, because there were so many of us who were in the grammar schools, and then we, we would so look to the college staff. But <laughs> Helen was always there to help. She did a lot of work to help me learn how to write. So that there was this togetherness. There was a joy and a togetherness. But um, my faith has only gotten deeper with time and with more understanding that some of what I thought was the essence of things was a myth. Um, you know, all the rules that we kept were really w rules that that you had into day silence and night silence and um, you know, the, all these structures of power among us. And it was great not to have that and it didn't make it it made it better for me to read and to develop I believe a relationship with God because now we're on the other end of things and it's not too long because you're going to get to to have another dimension of your life so does that help you at all because it was it was a struggle but you know when survival with style means you really have to work at it <laughs> so you didn't have a lot of time to think about I'll never forget we couldn't get credit cards because we we'd never been on anybody's roster for credit and so one of the sisters Noreen Naughton had a brother who worked with the Bank of America and after hours we got snuck in the back door and they helped us get credit cards 
another time um, there were there were just all kinds of funny stories about how you may uh, old when we all many of us were um, what do you call it um, when they, we were sending your first first time they'd ever gotten I was 42 they'd ever gotten any tax money from me for income was that year and they what do they call that thing that they do with him audit us they audited all kinds of us <laughs> yeah where have you been well you, you know here's the salary that you're getting as a teacher and all of a sudden you have a so it was audited but thank god I, we i was always had to get people to help me because i i'd give the kitchen sink away i'd give anything away so i had to get somebody to help me and he went to the to the audit for me and i didn't it all worked out fine from then on they've left me alone <laughs> so far <laughs> that's true is there an, uh, any more questions? Anybody else? Nobody? No? Let me tell my story about the Las Vegas Theater. Yeah, okay, yeah, Lenore's going to tell this story. Yeah. We heard at dinner. Yeah. Um, the, the Las Vegas Theater is next door. And <clears throat> when I was organizing film programs at Immaculate Heart College, I had met Max Lemley generations ago at the theater and I arranged to have screenings so that students from the college could come and um, see movies the the foreign films Truffaut Bergman uh, anyway <clears throat> uh, my superior said when I asked if Corita and Florette and I still inhabit could go to the theater um, by ourselves the answer was yes, but you may not go in the main entrance through the box office. So I had to arrange with Max that they would let us in the, the side entry. So the three of us part, all wearing habits, sneak in the side entry, but then we're facing the whole theater. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, does anyone know what happened to the folk art collection? Did it stay together? Or the question is what happened to the folk art collection? Uh, it was auctioned. So it went piece by piece. And uh, Magdalene Mary, in her heartache, begged money and tracked down this piece and that piece and the other piece and tried to reconstruct it. But I mean, the college was desperate for money and that's why the decision was made. And uh, it didn't make as much money as it should have. It really was a superb, fantastical, comical collection. You could probably find pieces if you went looking. <laughs> Yes. I was going to say, how about Sister Corita's works? Where are those now? Those are, um, there's the Corita Art, yeah, Sasha Carrera is actually in the back, is, <laughs> runs the Corita Art Center, which is still at the Immaculate Heart campus on Franklin and Western. There's, and there's still quite a few good pieces available. And brochures are at the, and she left all of it to the community. Yeah. Yeah, do, do any of you know the story behind that request, like the, how that came about, that she left all the prints to the community? Well, I, yeah. I just never questioned it. It just seemed like something that she would do. I think she left a matching set to UCLA. And uh, 
a set to the community and a good part of her financial estate to the community also. So, you know, there was a sense in which she left and a sense in which she never left. And, uh, The community office is in the same campus as the high school. Uh, if you park in the upper parking lot, we're on the upper level. And, uh, and then, so what did the college, because in 68, did the college cease to be? No, no, 1980. Oh, okay. 1980. Okay. <coughs> and Corita didn't die until 86. Any questions? Yes. I heard that Carl Rogers was the psychologist. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Heard what? The Carl Rogers story. Well, he didn't exactly work for the community. Uh, the, the question was about uh, Carl Rogers' association with the community and the college. And uh, he was in Western Behavioral Sciences Institute, was that? And <clears throat> Liz was very uh, central to this, engaging him and some of his, <laughs> in my irreverent way, come to think of his acolytes. Um, in managing workshops and so forth to kind of, I don't know, liberate our souls and So that went on for what? Three years were we engaged in in discussion? The way he was, what he was trying to, what he was trying to have us do was. It, it started with the college faculty. Didn't you go work a weekend with him, or or did that ever happen? I that was later, but well, I may be wrong on the timing. Well, I, there was. It wasn't. I wasn't. You know, I had worked with, with Glasser in schools without failure, but I didn't really. It, it, my class staff and I went on one of those weekends, and it was hard. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, because he encouraged everybody to say what you know how all their feelings and so forth, and that was not one of the strong strengths of the community. I mean, in a, in a convent, uh, <laughs> you were not encouraged to do a lot of that. So it was rather. It was a really hard weekend. Um, our staff still stayed together. I think some people found it very destructive, but in my, if either I'm daydreaming or something, but we still went back to school and worked very fine together. But it, we, we were very honest, and it was uh, could, very painful at times. But honesty is painful, but then again, do you really need that much honesty? <laughs> so it's, these questions come up all the time. Not that you're dishonest, but you just don't say some things. You learn how to survive with some other style than saying that. One of his uh, cohorts, or what did you call him, acolytes? <laughs> One of his acolytes, though, has written a book about that, and he claimed a lot of th about the fact that that was destructive to us as a community, and I don't believe that. 
I, I not, did not experience that in any way, shape, or form. It was a hard experience, but it was not, had no relationship to the chapter that was going on because it was somewhat all tied in, so it got mixed up. But his, his writings are not, not presenting the, the way I knew it, so. He, he, I accused him of making a second career out of confessing that he robbed us of our faith. And I said, if I were your confessor, I would tell you, God forbid that I would be your confessor, but if I were, I would tell you to move into the present day and forgive yourself as we forgive you. Um, you know, you, you make these remarks as though there had been no women's movement, no Vatican II, no civil rights, you know, all the things that germinated during the 60s and came to a, kind of a full boil for us in 67. <clears throat> it was my effort to say nicely, boy, you're off base. <laughs> Anybody else? No? Yeah? In closing it up, I, want, I was wondering if I could ask each of you briefly just to tell us in the shortest way possible what, <laughs> what do, would you say that your experience with Carita and with the Immaculate Heart community, what is the single most important gift that you got from that experience? It seems like a nice way to maybe wrap this up. Could you answer? Yeah. This sounds... <coughs> very low. I learned how to work and how to keep working and keep working and see from the work I did, see the idea grow and blossom and be, and she was tyrannical in terms of <laughs> the work and at first I didn't understand why we had to write 500 things by tomorrow morning. And it just broke down the readiness and the assumption, you know, and you finally open to new, new ideas, new ways. So, <coughs> Thatching. I had been an art major at the University of Redlands, and the teacher was terrific. But when I got and with Sister Meg too, I mean, it, it was something else, and it it, it changed my life. Um. From Corita, and I think it also applies to community, I learned to see and to be open and to expect surprises. And in community, similarly, to see 
multiple perspectives and be open to what comes and all can be a wonder and um, a joy. Well, it would be impossible for me to boil it down, so I'll tell you an incident that pertains but only in the most general way. When I was a young teacher in the high school, I was very concerned about the lives of the students. And there was one student in particular who seemed to me particularly troubled. And one day I met Corita on the staircase and I said, say a prayer for, and I mentioned the name, it was a name that would have meant nothing to her. I said, I'm worried about her. And so she just said, bowed her head and said, Jesus, and walked on and I, I have just seen prayer. You know, I had said a lot of prayers, but there was something so prayerful and immediate about her response that it was an art. <laughs> Those years gave me my voice and made me brave and gave me the courage to trust in who I am and the gifts that I have to give. Summaries are hard. I believe both the experience with the art in the, uh, at the high college and with Corita and with my experience in community and I had dinner with Corita later in Boston one time. And I was, so, I was full of what I was about because I was in, loved education. And she said to me, do you realize the gift you have of enthusiasm? And I, I believe that's what life has been for me because of community, is, in, is really um, optimistic, joyful, and it's still that way. I still like getting up in the morning and living. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Ashling and Arlo. You can check them out at MySpace or Facebook or at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.